Hey everyone, it's uh, it's Felix today. We're doing split duty. Uh, the other children are talking to Jonathan Shannon about the British election, which you're going to hear in this episode. But he, I am I'm on a solo detachment. One ranger, one riot, or I should say, two rangers. Before I introduce our guest, I do want to point out this is kind of a bad day for me. Uh, Anand Khashoggi died, um, and I just. You know, we have work to do today, but it's, I still got to mourn, you know, just as a creative kid growing up in the Midwest who never really fit in, um, he told me it was okay and that I could sell weapons to various unaccountable and shadowy groups and own the world's biggest yacht. And, um, you know, I just want to say 2017, stop killing my friends, but, but we have work to do. I am here with the champion of returning Chapo guest, record holder, and also our go-to foreign policy guy. It's our friend, Derek Davison. Derek, what's going on? Hey, Felix. I'm doing all right. I, I, I am also you know, upset about Adnan, of course. He was, uh, he was a mentor for me, and uh, you, know, you just have to take it one day at a time and you know, he, just, he just keep, keep, keep pushing, pu- pushing on. He would have wanted us to do this show, you know. It's he if he was here right now, he'd be encouraging us just like he always did. I feel like he is here right now, to be honest. Me too. It just I feel it. Me too. <laughs> well guys, if you you two like us are grieving, you can get over that by reading some for my money, the best analysis you can get. Go to Derek's blog as the and that's the way it was, AT twiw.com and also support Derek on Patreon. Just look up Derek Davison Patreon, you'll see it. Uh, we're going to put a link in the episode description when we tweet it out. But Derek does a lot of great stuff of just like ask Derek anything is one of my favorite features. He does the same great writing you see that he does on his blog and other places. Uh, if you're listening to this, you probably already know who Derek is, but uh, he's he's one of the best people you can read on stuff like the GCC crisis, which we're about to get into. All right. So originally we were planning to do kind of an around the world episode, but, um, yeah, this kind of, I, like, I, I feel like we should tell people this kind of just fell into place by accident, basically. Like we were already planning to do a show on the, on like an around the world thing, but also, you know, there's been a little bit of, Cutter news, GCC news, with the the Cutter news agency alleged hacking, and uh, you know we were going to talk about the the email leaks from from the UAE ambassador to the US, Yusuf Al Taiba. Uh, but then this, you know, after we had decided to do that, this whole thing blew up on Monday. So uh, you know, it's kind of taken everything over. Yeah. Um it was so currently we're in the GCC and now minus Qatar uh, we're in the part of the Civilization 5 game uh, right before you quick save and you try to start over <laughs> but uh, let's do let's do a little background uh, so the G, the Qatar and Kuwait they're not they've never really been in lockstep with the Gulf Cooperation Council with Saudi Arabia the United Arab Emirates uh uh, and and Oman has never been in lockstep with them either. It's sort of like the three amigos and then 
Kuwait, Qatar, and Oman. Oman, the scrappy do of the Cooperation Council. <laughs> but uh, a lot of that, you know, and Derek, you, you've you've lived in Qatar. You have a way better background on it than me, so step in at any time. Yeah, as like, the as the the our tanky listeners know, uh, back when I was a deep state <laughs> operative, and when uh, Derek with the was Rand Corporation, uh, I, I lived in Qatar for for some time. Now, when Derek was taking out people with an anti-material rifle, <laughs> uh, the, um, so Qatar shares the world's largest natural gas field with Iran, and so they're obviously not on the huge isolate and take on Iranian proxies with our own proxies thing that the GCC is. Not that they don't, because they're one of the most coordinated funders of jihadi groups in Syria, and we're going to get into that a little bit later, but. Kuwait is largely the same way. Now, what I think is interesting about these two countries and their stance on Iran versus the, the GCC is that they have, well, Qatar in particular, pretty, pretty significant Shia population. Now, I, Bahrain does have that too, but it's they've sort of had an easier time putting down protesters and they have a different attitude towards it i mean i think th- i mean bahrain is majority shia so they've just yeah. gone for outright repression because otherwise like if they opened that country up they would be you know out on their cans um the difference i think with kuwait um is that it, it has a large shia minority but mm-hmm. not large enough it's like 35 percent shia so, I mean, you know, they'd like to keep things uh, with Iran on a, on a cordial, friendly basis, but they don't need to worry about coming down that hard uh, to, to stay in power. Um, and for Qatar, I think it's really, uh, as you said, it's the natural gas field. They share – it's called the North Dome South Parse gas field, and it's the largest in the world by, like – an unbelievable amount. I think if you add up all the other natural gas, like accessible natural gas in the world, uh, it's less than what's contained in this one field. Um, and so, yeah, they they really don't want to get on Iran's bad side because um, you know that that relationship that that's really their uh, ticket to wealth and prosperity. And if it if something were to happen to threaten that, they'd be in you know in serious trouble. Yeah, and um, it's not just Iran. Uh, talk a little bit about the Saudi split with the Muslim Brotherhood and uh, Qatar's continued support for them. Sure. Well, okay. The Saudis and the Muslim Brotherhood um, actually had a pretty good relationship for most of the 20th century. Um, they're not a perfect fit for one another. Uh, the Muslim Brotherhood was a challenge ideologically to um, established monarchies and autocracies in the Middle East, which is what the Saudis are. Uh, so, you know, there was some inherent tension in that relationship. But things didn't really get bad until uh, the first Gulf War and after Saddam Hussein's invasion of Kuwait. When the Saudis invited American troops in to defend the kingdom, uh, the Muslim Brotherhood really opposed that decision, and that's what really that really caused a falling out between them and the kingdom. Um, what then? I mean, you you can 
fast forward to 2011 and what freaked everybody out and freaked the Saudis out was the Arab Spring, which was very much, um, you know, included the mother Muslim Brotherhood in, you know, in these protest movements that hit places like Morocco and uh, Egypt and, uh, you know, Syria and uh, even, you know, uh, well, certainly hit Bahrain, which was very close to home. And also, I mean, there was a little bit of a uh, a push in Saudi Arabia where because of the oil for you know decades they've had enough money to basically buy people's complacency no matter how repressive things get or how uh, how high unemployment gets which is very high particularly among uh, the youth population in Saudi Arabia you know no matter how bad those things get uh, the social welfare network that they've been able to pay for with the oil wealth has kind of uh, you know bought people's complacency uh, or their acquiescence, uh, but this all happened. You know the the Arab Spring and the, this new challenge or threat to uh, Arab autocracy um, happened at the same time that you're seeing a decline in oil prices and you've probably already seen, although they don't like to talk about it, you've probably seen uh, you know peak oil or near peak oil which means you know what that means is you know Saudi's pumped uh, the more oil than they have left so they're you know they're on the the downward trajectory and so they're thinking about you know what can we do in the future and are we going to be able to afford to to keep this you know massive payoff payout you know sort of institution going uh, and they realize they can't do that and that's made them nervous. Um, and then, so then you had this this movement that seemed to be sweeping across the Arab world, uh, challenging um, regimes just like theirs. And so they responded very harshly. They declared the Muslim Brotherhood a terrorist institution, and you know they've uh, um, you know taken steps to oppose it pretty much everywhere. Uh, that they can, they're funding. You know, they they were behind the coup in Egypt, or not, you know, in terms of organizing it, but they were very supportive of it uh, to overthrow the Muslim Brotherhood government there. Qatar, on the other hand, um, historically has had a good relationship with the Muslim Brotherhood. Uh, the Brotherhood has had uh, offices in Qatar. Um, it's some of its branches, like Hamas, uh, have had good relations with the Qatari government. And so they, when the Arab Spring happened, they went sort of all in on the protesters and the, the Brotherhood and, you know, thought that their, their um, attitude was this is, you know, this is going to be a big change. It's going to be a sea change politically for the Arab world. Mm-hmm. And we can be on top of that. You know, the other, the other factor for Qatar has been they have all this wealth from – you know their natural gas and oil to a certain extent. They don't have that much oil, but um, you know they have all this wealth to play with. But they they've never really been taken seriously because they're you know this tiny Gulf Emirate. Bandar Bandar Prince many. Bandar bin Sultan always called them a, an oil rig with a TV station. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I right. I mean, we have to talk about Al Jazeera too, but. You know, I think the, they their attitude and the the former Emir Sheikh Hamad, uh, his attitude was, uh, this is our chance to really flex our muscles and assert ourselves on par with a country, you know, 
that is as wealthy as ours is. So we can, you know, if we support these Muslim Brotherhood movements and you know the, these protesters, um, we can be, you know, we can be like the the Godfather of the Arab Spring. And when these, you know, governments all come to power and overthrow the uh, the dictatorships and the the monarchies that they're protesting against, they'll all be sort of beholden to us, and we'll we'll have that we'll have some regional hegemony uh, to counter what the Saudis have developed. Yeah, it's I mean, this entire thing is very interesting because it's kind of like the Saudis are being haunted by phantoms of the past. Everything they did to maintain their power is sort of coming back in these ways that they don't like. I mean, the deal that King Faisal famously made with the hardliners was like, okay, I'm going to make all these universities and women can attend them and I'm going to modernize Riyadh and you know, you guys hate that, but my compromise is we're gonna we're gonna pack the schools with Muslim Brotherhood teachers, and you know, it's obviously not the only reason they became so well connected and influential, but it really didn't help. And the everything that they're sort of accusing Qatar of with the Muslim Brotherhood are things that they've exactly done that have been Saudi state policy since. Uh, 79 and uh, the oil the oil is another thing it's the the line used to be that uh, oh well this is smart they're undercutting Iran because Iran can't make a profit if oil is you know what is it like below $75 a barrel it's, but it's, it's around 50 I mean it's been around 50 yeah. for a while and that's after they uh, you know got Russia and you know all the other non OPEC producers except the US uh, to agree to cutbacks, so I mean, this has sort of been artificially inflated uh, by the the cartel, uh, yeah. just to get it to fifty dollars. And these are countries, um, you know, the Saudis and and uh, um, you know, I mean, it, this is off the scope, but Venezuela, you know, whose economy, mm-hmm. you know, which economy has collapsed, these are countries that need oil to be a hundred dollars a barrel or more. Uh, to really make ends meet, um, so they're they're struggling, um, and you know the the real threat there was. I mean, I think for a while they were trying to undercut Iran and keep market share because they knew that uh, with the nuclear deal that the sanctions were going to come off and Iran was going to re-enter the oil market in a big way. But uh, the other thing they've had they've been trying to do is to keep um, fracking in the U.S. sort of offline. To make it to to keep like they've got to keep oil prices at, at a level that where it's not economical for these U.S. producers to start uh, pumping oil again because if it rises much above fifty dollars a barrel then you know it becomes more viable for the U.S. to get back into that uh, in which case then I mean the price comes back down because there's there's more supply so it's kind of you're kind of stuck. Uh, at this level that's very inadequate for for what these places need so with with all of this going on i mean there were previous tensions between qatar and uh saudi arabia in 2013 and kuwait kind of acted as a peacemaker but what's different between then and now what what really kicked all of this off so it's it's not clear that if there was a specific event that 
caused this. The Saudis are just talking generally about uh, you know these violations that Qatar has committed against its GCC brothers, and you know they're talking about its Qatar support for the Muslim Brotherhood. They're talking about its relationship with Iran. But I don't. It's not clear that something specific happened. Now, there people. Mm-hmm. There's been talk that you know maybe the Saudis have intel that says Qatar has been working with the Houthi rebels in Yemen under the table. But you know, I, I, I like, first of all, that assumes that anything that the the Saudis do has to have a rational explanation. Um, but secondly, I mean, there are Qatari soldiers serving. And being wounded and killed in the Saudi coalition against the Houthis. Now they've been uh, the Saudis kind of kicked them out of the coalition along with all this other stuff. You're not allowed to die with us anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, you're not allowed to you know risk your lives in this the, giant stupid adventure we've decided to take on. They're all they're all sitting in a bombed out general staff <laughs> building, and half of them are dead. You can't sit with us anymore. <laughs> So, you know, I mean, this was a little bit out of the blue. Now, uh, we can, I guess we should talk at this point about the Cutter News Agency story, which was the most immediate lead up to this. A a few weeks ago, um, the Cutter News Agency reported, and this was right around the time of Donald Trump's visit to uh, Riyadh, which I I suspect is the other proximate cause of this and we can talk about Mm -hmm. that in a second but right around that same time the Qatar News Agency reported that at this like military academy commencement uh, the Emir of Qatar Sheikh Tamim gave a commencement address where he said some very derogatory things about Saudi foreign policy and about Donald Trump and he talked about Iran he said you know we have to have we have to try to have good relations with Iran they are a regional power and he talked in positive terms about Hezbollah and Hamas. And so, you know, these are, you know, pot-stirring things for the emir of Qatar to say. Now, immediately, the Qatar news agency claimed that it had been hacked. And the Qataris actually, like, insist that Tamim never gave this speech at all. Like, he didn't speak at the commencement at all. He just was there. Um, there's supposedly witnesses who will, you know, swear to that, but I haven't seen any of them actually quoted. I've just seen reference to them. Um, so they denied, you know, they denied everything. They've even asked the FBI to come in and help them investigate this, you know, alleged hack, which I mean, may very well be. the The foreign minister of Bahrain had his Twitter account hacked, I think, last week, maybe. So I mean, you know, who knows? This stuff happens, but. The Saudis and the the UAE uh, have basically just refused to believe this. They just their news agencies have run with this story as though it really happened. They're refusing to even you know entertain uh, the explanation of that that the Q and A was hacked. And so that in turn, I mean, so you know this, these comments that are attributed to Sheikh Tamim were offensive to the Saudis and to the Emiratis, but then in turn, like their refusal to take Qatar's word for it that they were hacked has been offensive to the Qataris. So, you know, there's kind of this back and forth. Uh, Believe Qataris. 
And, you know, I mean, because of all this past tension between the Saudis and the Qataris, which, you know, as the Saudis said, goes all the way back to 1995 uh, in their minds, um, you know, there's there's this, you know, inherent kind of uh, uh, mistrust between between these two countries and, and it just kind of exacerbated the the situation. Well, I mean, if, uh, you know, James Comey famously tweeted out after he got fired, hey, so uh, I've unfortunately been let go, but if you need me to investigate people for for money, smiley face. Uh, I've set up a GoFundMe. And, uh, a PayPal. <laughs> J- uh, you email me at jcomey at gmail.com. Hey, so I investigated a thing. So hopefully he gets that gig. You know, I'm pulling for him. He's the old friend of the he's show. The top top private investigator on Medium. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so um, they I, I've seen a bunch of shit thrown around about the hacking. The sort of I guess the equivalent of Middle Eastern Louis Mensch characters are saying that it was Iran who hacked. Well, uh, yeah, I mean this. Yeah, right. There's there's this. I mean there's a a contingent of people in the West that blame everything on Iran, but yeah, um, it makes no sense. You know, it, it, it no, it, it, I mean, it makes sense from the perspective of like, you know, just poking a stick into a, a beehive to see what happens, uh, which the Iranians do sometimes. I mean, they, you know, the, the Yemen, which has now, you know, I think is sucking them in, deeper than they wanted to go but uh, you know the Houthi their support quote unquote support for the Houthis in Yemen for a long time was basically just like an arm's length thing that they felt like they could do to tweak Saudi Arabia it wasn't a serious thing for them Um, yeah and it was I mean it was logistically very hard for them to support the Houthis as people said they did right right and I I mean it continues to be it continues to be Um, so you know I mean could they have done something like this, you know, just to like, you know, tweak the GCC? It's I guess it's possible, um, but you know, it's really kind of threatening to blow up in their face because the last yeah. thing they want is for the Saudis themselves. I mean, for this to really go like escalate beyond you know, anybody's expectations and turn into some kind of a military confrontation or, um, you know, a political intervention where the Saudis try to leverage again, they've, you know, they've tried this before, but try to leverage a a coup in Qatar. I mean, the last thing that the Iranians want is, is either direct Saudi control or, you know, a Saudi puppet controlling the Qatari part of, of the, the South Pars gas field. I mean, that, that would be, um, a really, really bad outcome for the Iranians. Yeah, I mean, that's what I was thinking. It's like, okay, so if they hack it, that's a a huge risk, and that like they don't know what the fuck would happen. Right. Like this entire thing was a surprise to any any everybody that it blew up this big, and second, that they would jeopardize like such a money maker and a regime that's relatively pretty friendly to them just to confuse the GCC. Right. Be like, it's like their little finger. Right. We live in damn Game of Thrones, people. <laughs> but yeah, no, that just—I mean, look, anything's possible. Like you said, they've 
every state, I guess. I mean, the fallacy we all tell ourselves is that like every state is has plotting genius 50 year plots as we say the Russians do but everyone's kind of like as confused and stupid as we are right I mean everybody does stupid shit from time to time and so I you know it wouldn't be that surprising if if the Iranians did something Uh, yeah but I mean I think you have to take anything that the anti-Iran crowd says at you know with a grain of salt because literally they you know they look for anything that they can blame on Iran. So, jumping to now, what are the there's well, been, so yeah, I mean we should talk about the Trump visit a little bit, I guess, because that's oh, I, I, I immediately just for a quick one, I wanted to touch on um, you know, there's been people have pulled back their diplomats, there, there's been sure. sort of blockading, and I wanted to talk about the kind of the consequences for that. I mean, it's funny to make fun of Qatar and like them having their own Bana, who's like, uh, I, "I'm on my last Lamborghini, please." Help Trump. But like, yeah. it really like it is fucked up for a lot of people. No, I mean, ninety percent of Qatar uh, Qatar's population are foreign workers. That's right. The, that's God right. Help them. I mean, part of the the reason that they're so wealthy is because they've got all this natural resource wealth split among. An actual cuttery citizen population that's only two hundred to three hundred thousand people. I mean, the country can contains somewhere around two point five million, but almost all of them are uh, are foreign workers of some kind. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's you know that that's a that's a range. I know people uh, hear that and they think about you know Western expat dickheads you know sipping scotch and smoking cigars and i say that having actually been one of those dickheads uh at one time um you know but um you know most of those foreign workers are people uh from places like nepal and the philippines and india who are basically i mean they're treated so badly um you know it's just the the uh the kafala system that people have talked about with relation to the World Cup where manual laborers are literally dying to build uh, facilities for these people. And buried in the foundation right. of the facilities. And just, you know, kind of being <laughs> fucking insane. Um, so, I mean, these people are treated really, really badly. They're, they're brought to Qatar on you know, the pretense that oh, you'll, you'll make more money than you can make here and you'll be able to send money home to your family and uh, you know, XYZ. And then they get over there and they have their passports taken away and they're told, well, you have to pay us back first for the plane ticket and for your accommodations, which are, you know, I mean, they put them in a hovel with 10 other people. Um, and so, you know, they don't actually make what they were promised and, and they're treated miserably. Um, and, and those are the people, like when you see pictures on Twitter of empty grocery store shelves, because Qatar can't get any food in, you know, like half of its food comes across the border from Saudi Arabia and they import almost all of their food from somewhere, um, you know, and they're being denied airspace. They're being denied, you know, navigating the Persian Gulf becomes tricky now, um, you know, and when you see uh, these pictures of empty grocery store shelves, it's not, you know, the the emir and his brothers who are suffering from this. It's the people who... Uh, are there making next to nothing and struggling every day 
who are going to be the first ones to suffer because of this. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, I mean, like any time there's a gulf dust up, the people that pay for it the most are the most precarious people. But uh, jumping, jumping a little bit, uh, you know, thank God, very steady hand guiding this. The president with an extremely normal brand. What has uh, what is Washington's response to this very complex struggle? How is how is uh, New York's smartest real estate developer taking this on? <laughs> the genius. Like he, I mean, if you want to find an event that caused this, I mean, you know, I we I said that I don't think there's a one specific thing that caused the Saudis to do this in terms of something that Cutter did or you know some final offense that you know the straw that. I don't want to say broke the camel's back because that's stereotypical. But anyway, uh, uh, the the perch that the falcons yeah. <laughs> pierced. Oh, right, exactly. I don't know. Um, but the thing, I mean, the thing that probably you know caused this to happen was Trump's visit to Riyadh, yeah. where you know, f- in exchange for basically having his ass kissed for two days and having his you know, fat face plastered on the side of a hotel. <laughs> he loved that. Which he still what talks about. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, I, I, I get it. He's, he's, you know, got the most fragile ego in the entire Western world. And compared with how he got treated by the Europeans later on that trip, you know, when they all basically treated him like he's got the plague, um, you know, I, I get it. I mean, he, he was very uh, happy. Mashallah. Mashallah, I'm a, I'm a Muslim now. They know how to respect, <laughs> yeah. the, respect the president. They know how to treat my, my new best carry. friend, Max of Arabia. <laughs> so, so, I mean, you know. I'm listening to Dean Squad. <laughs> Look, um, you know, for the price of basically that, uh, he has, I mean, he's basically taking his Middle East briefings from. Riyadh at this point, like mm-hmm. he's wholly, entirely adopted their view of the region, their view of the world, uh, and at the same time, because of that, now the Saudis feel very emboldened to do anything they want. They figure, you know, anything we want to do, we're going to have support from this administration. Unlike uh, the Obama administration, which. Uh, was skeptical of the Saudi relationship. I would argue not nearly skeptical enough. Um, and even you know the Bush administration, which was very uh, you know uh, obsequious to the Saudis in their own right. The Bushes and the the Sauds have their long-standing relationship. But I still, I mean, I, I don't think would have put up with something like this, which you know is completely. Um, you know, put put a, a, a kink in American plans now uh, in the region. Uh, but they feel like with Trump, you know, they can do pretty much anything and he'll go along with it. So why not now in the heat of the moment after you've, you know, uh, got this, you know, addle-brained idiot to uh, go all in with you before anything happens to screw that up, uh, you know, take your take it out on this you know tiny little neighbor that's been uh, been a thorn in your side. Yeah, um, I think the the kind of interesting thing here is 
you're you're you may see a further balkanization of the foreign policy blob because Qatar is very well represented in DC. Yes. They probably have like the most lobbyists per capita out of any country and there are like you know, today the Pentagon tweeted some stuff in support of uh, of Qatar. Yeah, I mean, you've had you've had you know diplomats and and the Pentagon all like you know contradicting, and even Rex Tillerson, who's talking yeah. about you know he wants to play a, a mediating role. Um, you know, you got all these guys on the one hand, and then you have the president and his fucking Twitter account on the other hand. <laughs> You know, talking about well, it's good to see somebody's taking extremism seriously. <laughs> and this this guy who during the campaign was like, yeah, the Saudis did nine right. eleven. He literally meets them once, and he's like, oh no, sir, oh. Mr. President, you were thinking of Qatar. Oh, sorry. Okay. Anyway, I've always hated Qatar. I've always loved the Saudis. They're great. <laughs> Fucking it's, amazing. It's, it is amazing. It is. It's been astonishing to watch this, and he is so far in the bag. Um, you know, and that's why I mean that's why I think they they did it now. The Saudis, I mean, you know, did this now because he is so dumb and so badly informed that all it takes is you know some other person to whisper in his ear, "Oh, well, actually, Cutter's good," and he'll be out on Twitter tomorrow. Well, you got to lay off the Cutteries; they're good. They've helped us so much. I supported the Emir when he when he deposed his dad. I thought it was very smart. <laughs> I did the exact same thing. Uh, with uh, with this with that s- split going on, I mean, Qatar, like both Saudi and Qatar have funded their own rebels in Syria, namely. But I'd say Qatar has been much more organized with it and has much more of a comprehensive uh, plan for it. But I I think it was. Pretty like in the last few months, there was sort of a leadership election with the uh, with the sort of the that element of the Syrian opposition, and Qatar's guys lost to the Saudis. But if this if there's this split going on, how do you think this is going to play out with those competing proxy groups that are already like just getting their fucking asses handed to them, even when the U.S. like hits the SAA in, at weird times, they're still just getting their asses handed to them comprehensively now. Yeah, I mean, the only rebel group that you can say is doing well are the the ones around uh, TANF, which is on the Jordanian-Iraqi yeah. border. And that's because they have like U.S. forces embedded with them, and they're getting... Uh, I think they shot down a Syrian jet yesterday, which is kind of yeah. shocking. That means they're getting... Uh, you know, fairly advanced anti-aircraft weaponry from the U.S. Stop me if you've um, heard this one before. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking great. Um, and so they're they're kind of in a in a decent place, but the rebels in the north, you know, they I mean, the loss of Aleppo really shattered uh, their chances to do to you know of doing anything um, substantively, you know, on the ground. Uh, they've been confined to Idlib province where you know Assad has been happy to kind of let them congregate but eventually you know he's going to attack them there um, there was a big sort of almost civil civil war really between uh, Ahrar Sham and uh, Nusra or you know whatever it's calling itself now um, a couple of months ago where um, 
Ararasham lost most of its strength and, you know, had to sort of, uh, you know, adjust to a new reality of basically being Turkey's uh, butler in, in you know, Gerobolus and, and some other areas uh, where, you know, the rest of the, the main part of the rebel force in the north is basically all under um, al-Qaeda's umbrella now. They're, they're mostly in this uh, Hayat Tahrir Asham coalition that is led by uh, the Nusra guys. Um, and so, I, you know, it's it's become, because of that, because it's, you know, there's this Al-Qaeda, very stark Al-Qaeda connection. I think it's become more difficult even for, for the Qataris and the Saudis, who have supported, uh, the Qataris in particular, supported Nusra uh, uh, in the past. It's it's become, I think, more difficult for them to to maneuver. Um, so I'm gonna, I want to get in a little bit to, you know, how far this can go, but... Going back to our special guy, uh, and going back to elite emails, uh, pretty pretty important player in all of this. Who uh, I guess his password was something like, you know, the UA, UAE rules, UAE rules one, um, Yusuf Al Al Taiba. He's uh, the. UAE ambassador to the United States. He's right. sort of like a Prince Bandar type figure, a very charming and socially adept guy who can bridge this link between a Gulf nation and uh, these neoconservative think tanks. Right. Like they ever well, had and, anything? I mean, he's keep them got a, He's also got a shitload of money to throw around. I mean, the UAE. Yeah, his dad, the UAE spends more money on lobbying than I think any other country in the world. Uh, in in the he, U.S. In the U.S. Yeah, and his dad was like he was the longest serving OPEC chairman, right? Like just this guy personally. Right, I think so. I think that's correct. Yeah, and uh, so he's sort of he's his emails came out. We've heard about this guy before. He was kind of like he's been making entreaties to Israel from UAE, which shouldn't really surprise anyone, but. He's also – he's got some links to uh, – the name of the think tank is, is escaping me, but it's one of the worst ones. It was one of those ones. Foundation that, uh, for the Defense of Democracies. Y- yes. That was the one that yeah. was so – that has been like the the American think tank that has been the most hard on for, uh, for- Chechen, Chechen Islamists, which is <laughs> a weird one. Well, they – I mean you know they've been they, – they push for um, – you know – confrontation they they'll deny that they you know they've been pushing for war but certainly confrontation with Iran has been uh, their big thing yeah so talk a little bit about the emails that were leaked from this guy and what it kind of shows about the current GCC policy the current GCC ambitions for what they want to do I mean I think it shows that you know most of this stuff is about Iran for them. Like, uh, you know, these are countries, the Saudis and, and the Emiratis, ironically, who used to have, you know, some of the worst relations with Israel of any Arab country, where mm-hmm. Qatar, for a long time, one of the reasons that the Saudis and the Qataris didn't get along for many years after, at least after the, the, uh, 
the Qatari coup in, in 1995 was that Sheikh Hamad, who was then the emir, um, tried to tried to improve Qatar's relations with Israel and had you know fairly good relations with with Israel for an Arab country. Um, and ironically, what you've seen now is because of Iran, because of the GCC's overriding uh, fear of Iran, the Saudis and the Emiratis are, you know, in bed basically with Israel, uh, with Israel's far-right Likud government um, over their common enemy, Iran. Um, you know, they don't want to talk about that publicly. They, they don't, you know, they don't like to, to say that. Um, but that's what, you know, things like, I mean, we've seen it in uh, other leaks, but the, it's, you know, borne out here where you've got uh, Yusuf Al-Taiba, the, the UAE ambassador, working with uh, FDD, Foundation for Defense of Democracies, which is a very, very pro-Israel, anti-Iran think tank. Um, so that's one thing I think that, that comes out pretty clearly. And, and uh, The Intercept wrote about that over the weekend. Um, the other thing that comes out is uh, this Cutter stuff. I mean, this was sort of an interesting prelude to what happened on Monday because the Huffington Post reported on these same leaks, you know, emails again with FDD between Otaiba and FDD and, and uh, you know, a couple of other, I, I think a couple of other places that were very much, you know, how do we get the Trump administration to. Uh, help us isolate Cutter and turn on Cutter. Um, you know, including plans, I guess, for a conference uh, that's supposed to happen later this month, uh, an FDD conference, uh, where they're supposed to talk about, you know, the the Cutter problem. Like, what do we do about Cutter and its support for, um, you know. A the Muslim Brotherhood, this political, these political Islamist organizations, but also, and I think more importantly, um, you know, the fact that it continues to maintain relations with Iran. Um, so you know, he's he was working this, you know, through the the think tank community uh, before you know this week's events. Two things now are. Who does Qatar really have on their side? I mean, I've seen the only thing I've I've seen are a bunch of tweets from like the weirdest pro AKP accounts. Like, <laughs> if Qatar falls, we fall. And uh, what happens here? I think that a military confrontation is extremely unlikely. I mean, Qatar. You can say whatever about the capabilities of their military, but they have a pretty big one, and it's sort of a pain in the ass to invade if it came to that. But well, and it would see? be. I mean, even even Trump, I think, as far in the bag as he is for the Saudis, I don't think he could just sit there and watch that happen. I mean, no. there are huge amounts of military U.S. military assets at right. Al Udaid and and you know, like things that are central to uh, America's ability, like Central Command's main forward yep. operating bases there. You know, you you can't engage in these operations in places like Iraq and uh, um, you know even even Afghanistan to some extent without yeah. uh, you know without the, the the stuff that they have in Qatar and the bases they have there but yeah I mean you know the Qataris short of that I mean I, I, it seems clear that that the president of the United States at least is going to stay out of this or he's going to you know cheer on the Saudis from the sidelines 
Cutter has, um, again, with this, their sort of heterodox GCC foreign policy, they've got decent relations with Russia um, that they might be able to call on. But their main support, I mean, the, you know, the, the AKP guys are weird, but they're not entirely wrong because Turkey is really um, probably their main uh, foreign support at this point. Mm. Um, you know, the, the AKP itself is sort of a Muslim Brotherhood type party. Um, it's not officially a brotherhood party because that the, the Muslim Brotherhood was more of an Arab institution. Um, yeah. But it's very much patterned on a lot of the Muslim Brotherhood's ideals. And so, um, you know, Recep Tayyip Erdogan f- has always felt a sort of affinity with Muslim Brotherhood parties throughout the the Arab world, and he supported huge support he supported the Morsi. Morsi government in Egypt, right? And he's supported, you know, part of the reason he um, backed the rebels in Syria, despite at the time having pretty good relations with Bashar al-Assad, was because you know there was this Muslim Brotherhood component, and uh, you know he saw it as a, a chance to kind of project Turkey's muscle, um, and so because of that. That's a t- I mean that gives them you know sort of a natural affinity with Qatar, and that's led to um, a number of business deals, uh, trade deals between the two countries. Turkish companies have gotten a pretty big chunk of business from uh, the World Cup, you know, construction contracts and things like that. Um, coming at a time when Turkey's economy is pretty stagnant, and you know this is stuff that they. Uh, sort of need pretty badly, um, and they also have a, a defense pact with Qatar of some kind. Now I don't know mm-hmm. what that obligates Turkey to do in you know X Y Z situation, um, but um, they do have a pact with Qatar, so there's a possibility they could get drawn into something. There's also a possibility, and I think part of the reason why. Erdogan has kind of jumped into this situation and, you know, he's trying to, to mediate is, you know, there's concern on their part. And I think on Kuwait's part too, that they could be next, that if the Saudis are really feeling it, you know, feeling like they can get away with anything, you know, they start with, with Qatar, but that it's not going to end there. They're going to go after other countries that have had, um, other Sunni states that have had, um, you know, warm, Relations with the Muslim Brotherhood and at least, you know, cordial relations with Iran and both both of those countries fit, but Turkey especially. Saudi Arabia has, I mean, their proxy their proxy game used to be kind of like, well, we don't have we don't really have a military or a formal foreign intelligence bureau to speak of, but we have all these groups that are around all these regional pressure points and rivals that we can sort of, you know pin this point or twist this arm here but under I mean it's been a long time coming but under Mohammed bin Salman especially it's become so much more aggressive you know I don't think I don't think they would have jumped the gun like they did on Qatar I don't think they would have done that you know 12 13 years ago but is there I mean I've already seen things from Pakistan and other places where a few people you wouldn't expect are k- 
kind of sick of Saudi Arabia's shit. And is there a risk of them overextending themselves and sort of creating a much bigger backlash that they otherwise wouldn't get on the surface if they were acting more covertly as they did once? Right. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a huge risk. You know, they have this idea of a. You know, it's sometimes talked about as an Arab NATO, but that's not really what it is. It's more of right. a Sunni NATO, um, where they have this mutual, you know, joint defense force uh, that draws troops and resources from all these different countries. And they put uh, an ex, the former chief of staff of the Pakistani army, they put him in charge uh, of this joint force that doesn't really exist yet, but they've appointed him, um, and. At the same time, though, you know, they kind of formed this thing with the idea that uh, ostensibly it would be about countering ISIS and, you know, if they had to go into Syria to fight ISIS or Iraq, they'd be able to do this. Um, but there's a lot of concern that this is a, really about containing Iran. And that's not to say that some of the other countries, some of the other Sunni countries in the Islamic world uh, don't have concerns about Iran, but they don't have – Saudi Arabia's concerns, which are yeah. very uh, almost existential. I mean, they have been since 1979, when you know there was the, this great fear that the, rev the Islamic Revolution would spread to uh, Saudi Arabia, or at least spread to the the Shia population on the east in the eastern half. Um, and the Pakistanis, in particular, that's an interesting case because. Um, you know they, they tried to buy the rent their army for uh, Yemen. Right. I mean, you know, he's work. tried to get them to to the Saudis tried to get them to serve in Yemen. They've tried to get them to to take a more activist anti-Iran role and the Pakistanis don't really have any interest in doing that. They have, you know, Pakistan's another country that has a sizable enough Shia minority that they'd really rather not rock the boat in that mm -hmm. sense. And they have a a border with Iran that's in a part of the world that's problematic for both countries. I mean, the, you know, Baluchistan, uh, which is sort of crosses the border between those two countries, is is a very um, you know uncontrolled place, and there are groups in Pakistani Baluchistan that are uh, very problematic for the Pakistani government, and then there are separatists really in. Um, Iranian Baluchistan who would like to uh, you know to split off and form their own country and so and, uh, they have not only uh, reasons why they they need to work with Iran but they've also got you know reasons why they would rather not antagonize Iran because they share this unstable border with you know that that could easily flare up into something Baluchistan is so interesting because it's um it was sort of the embryo for that shared policy between certain elements of NATO, between Israel and between the Saudis, where they're all pretending not to see each other, and pretending right. like they're not all supporting the same separatists, jihadis. <laughs> right, right. It was when the all the you know when they're uh, when they're all together a few years from now, they'll go. I remember when we first met <laughs> in that big province, but uh, so. The way I, I kind of want to see it, but I'm curious to what you think, with a military option completely off the table as far as direct confrontation, at least in the peninsula, I kind of see there being just 
increased proxy conflicts between the types of horrible groups that the Qataris support and the types that the Saudis support and this sort of God help you situation if you live in Syria or Lebanon or anywhere where both countries are operating. Yeah, I mean, you could see something play out in Syria, especially where, you know, uh, elements of, of uh, you know, this Tahrir-Sham coalition kind of break up, um, which would ironically be, you know, very good for Bashar al-Assad, but yeah. uh, not so good for the people living What a lucky in guy, Jesus! Um, <laughs> yeah, seriously. Like, everything just falls into place for him, basically. Anyone who ever says they're going to take him out, it just, boom, no more apart. GCC! Right. Right. It's like he's got a monkey's paw or something. <laughs> um, my, like, kind of tinfoil hat, like, I'm not sure if I totally believe this or not, but I keep coming back to it. My, my suspicion is that what they would like to see is a coup in Doha. Mm. Um, you know, I, I don't think the reference to 1995 in the Saudi statement, you know, where they said, you know, ever since 1995, we've had a problem with these guys. They haven't done yeah. as they're told. We've tried to get them to, you know, stick to the GCC rules about extremist groups and blah, 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 and they haven't done it. I don't think that reference was, um, you know, just kind of meant in passing. I think it was meant to say, you know, look, Qatar was a a country that we had good ties with, we could rely on them, um, up until uh, Sheikh Hamad overthrew his father. And then these last two emirs now, you know, Sheikh Hamad ruled from 95 to 2013, and then he abdicated uh, for his son, who's the the current emir. Um, You know, I think the, the message there is, you know, these two guys have been the problem. And so, you know, that implicitly kind of says uh, there's a solution to this if anybody's interested. Um, we know that, you know, at least once, I mean, in, in 1996, there was an attempt, and it's one of the most hilariously inept, and I would have to, like, look at look up my, like, it, the story is so bizarre. Um, there was an attempt to put Sheikh Hamad's father, uh, Khalifa, back on the throne. And it's pretty clear that that, that was done with Saudi and, and UAE support. Um, it, it was a disaster. I mean, there were like, there was like a, one group of mercenaries that just like wandered the desert for a week and like a group of guys like sailed a boat into Doha Harbor and got off the boat and got lost and didn't know where the palace like they were asking people for oh directions. Oh my god. I, I mean I don't like I, I would have to go back and, and look at the old stories about it, but it was it's just the most hilariously inept like it, it's something you would expect in a, a, a slapstick movie comedy. Um but so, you know, that said, they've tried at least once, and there were a couple of other attempts to get Sheikh Khalifa back on the throne that may have, you know, also had some Saudi support. So this wouldn't be the first time that the Saudis have tried to, you know, muscle their way into Qatari politics. Um, so you know, they could be looking for another member of the Thani family to, you know, to say, well, you know, maybe I need to take matters into my own hands here and. Uh, do something drastic. Um, so that's, I mean, that's kind of where I see this headed in the most dramatic 
scenario. I can't. I also can't conceive of a scenario where this turns into a direct military confrontation. But I, I do think the possibility of that, some kind of political intervention like that, is out there. Well, you know, again, thank God we have such an even, even-handed, cool-headed deal maker in there, <laughs> looking over all this. And Jared, Jared is well, thank God for Jared. Prime Minister Kushner is, yeah, I'm sure Prime Minister he's on the, on the case. Also, thank God for Derek Davison. Again, check out at. ATTWIW.com and it's Patreon, which we'll provide the link for. Derek, great episode. Thank you so much. Thanks, Felix. Happy to be on. Our our pleasure, and we will happy we'll be happy to have you break this record again sometime. Absolutely. We still have to do the Crusades episode. Oh my god, you're right. You're right. (laughs) Complete into the Thousand episode. But all right, thank you. Thanks, Felix. Hey everyone. It's uh, Derek and Felix again. We thought that we had a good cap on the week, and then as uh, as as things are want to happen, uh, about twice as much shit happened. So I have Derek back uh, today to tack this on to the uh, original fifty something minutes we did. So uh, let's let's get it started. Uh, let's get it started in Eurasia, Derek. Uh, what happened with Russia today? So, okay, so yesterday, uh, CNN, like after, like it was about an hour, I guess, after we finished recording, uh, CNN broke the story that the FBI investigation, I said yesterday that, uh, the FBI was investigating this alleged hacking of the Qatar News Agency, and, you know, that that was part of the, that, that hack, and the, the stuff that was involved in it was part of the the problem with the Saudis and, and the Qataris. Uh, and they had brought the FBI in to investigate this. And the FBI found not only, I guess, that there definitely was a hack, um, but that uh, they're saying that Russian hackers were behind it. Um, so, like, the, the report yesterday, the CNN report, made it seem like the Russian government had done this or that the FBI suspects that the Russian government had done this. And Moscow, you know, came out and denied any involvement very angrily today. And in fact, you know, I've seen reporting today that says that actually what the FBI thinks uh, happened is that these were freelance Russian hackers who were hired by somebody, um, but it wasn't the Russian government that that did it. Let me let me put on my uh, Luis hat. <laughs> Wild speculation. Who do you who do you think did it? Was it was it Roger Stone? I think was it. Uh, it was Corey Lewandowski. The Joker. And, uh, <laughs> it was. It must have been Gorka. I think actually. Now that I think about it, yeah. he's the only one that that has the the international uh, supervillain panache to pull something like that off but who like i mean seriously like who who would have hired them well so i mean it could have been the saudis it could have been Mm. uh the emiratis if i had to pick between the two of them i would lean toward the emiratis just because um you know it's kind of the 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 instigator thing you know the little kid that you know instigates the bully to pick a fight or you know that kind of thing 
um, more their type of right, action, right? Than the type kind of, of shit Saudis direct, do too. It's more, it's more their kind of thing to, uh, you know, try to sucker, you know, get the Saudis to do something on their behalf. Um, you know, Iran is a possibility. Although, you know, like we talked about yesterday, you know, there's a lot of potential downside here for the Iranians uh, in terms of their shared gas interests with the Qataris. So I, I tend to think maybe not the Iranians. Right. Again, it's one of those things that's so reckless. Not saying that they wouldn't do that. I mean, as we said, states are stupid and reckless all the time. But it just, you know, it's something that if they thought about it for more than an hour, they would go, you know, what the fuck are we doing? Right. Here? I mean, it's but, just sort of like yeah. creating chaos to create chaos, which can be a tactic sometimes but doesn't it doesn't seem like it would be very useful in this situation if you want to go really like FX series Sons of Anarchy I mean I guess you you would say uh, it was the Emiratis because they go well our guy got hacked Let's do the same thing back but of course people are more I guess too clever by half and weird to always think like that but <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure we'll find out. I'm sure that it will be resolved uh, very, very even-handedly and intelligently. Absolutely, I mean, with the with the the countries involved here, I don't see any any chance of anything blowing out of proportion or being mishandled. Speaking uh, speaking of even-handed handling things very subtly, very smartly, Saudi Arabia put out a very reasonable. <laughs> List of demands to Qatar yesterday. Let's talk about those. Right. So, so let me uh, scroll back in my Twitter here. But this was uh, this was floating around Twitter uh, yesterday, and it's a list of. It was a list of. Um, you know the the Saudis haven't admitted that this is their list but it was it was being reported by uh, a, a guy with Al Jazeera so I mean you know legitimate journalistic credentials um, and it, uh, his name's Faisal Edrus uh, and he said that the Saudis had given Qatar 24 hours to meet the following 10 demands immediately break diplomatic relations with Iran Expel all Hamas members. Freeze the bank accounts of Hamas members. Expel all Muslim Brotherhood members. Expel anti-GCC elements. End support for terrorist organizations, in quotes. Stop interfering in Egyptian affairs. Cease broadcasting the Al Jazeera news channel. <laughs> Apologize. <laughs> this, this is this is better actually. Apologize to all Gulf governments for abuses by Al Jazeera. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude! And the, the tenth yeah. one is Qatar must pledge that it will not carry out any actions that contradict the policies of the GCC. Uh, yeah. Um, King Solomon says that you have to uh, you have to put a straw into your toilet. <laughs> the emir took a dump in it you have to blow bubbles and suck it back up also you have to say that King Solomon is your dad uh, you have to say that you're not real Salafis uh, you have to you have to let us put your 
put your headdress into a gyro machine and rotate it. <laughs> Turn into a whirling dervish of destabilization. Yeah, so we expect you guys to uh, meet these demands. If not, um, we do have some Colombian mercenaries left over in your extremely easy to invade country. So they can they cannot expect them to meet this shit. Well, right? they they cannot. I mean, if if this is accurate, and I mean they literally gave them twenty four hours. I mean it's it's absurd. There are things on this list that. You know, not not only couldn't be done in 24 hours, but like things that are pretty much could never be done. I mean, who who knows what an anti GCC element is? You know, and that who could be knows, literally anyone, right? Like, who knows how we're defining terrorist organizations? Because uh, you know, if we're ending support for terrorist organizations, the Saudis have a lot of you know, have a lot of work to do. Um, you know, stop interfering in Egyptian yeah, affairs. Happy, like, happy. I guess, I guess, you know, if if I were in Doha, I would say, okay, we'll stop selling them, you know, half of their natural gas or whatever the fuck they get from Qatar. You know, so the, meanwhile, the Saudis gave them like hundreds of billions of dollars to wipe out a monster that they right, create. Right. <laughs> half these demands are like, what are you? Speaking into a fucking. Mirror? I mean, it's it's insane. Yeah, it's really it's really a lot of projection, and uh, a lot of things that are just. I mean, it seems almost like um, you know cover for them to do whatever they're going to do anyway. But then you know they do it, and then they can say, well, you know, we gave the cutteries this uh, list of very simple to follow demands, and they couldn't do any of them, and so now we have to do you know what we have to do. And on that. Note: I, I, we talked at the end of yesterday, at the end of the recording yesterday, about uh, you know the possibility of the Saudis trying to engineer a coup. There are apparently, I think Fred Kaplan at Slate reported this today. There are Saudi newspapers, you know, kind of whimsically musing about the possibility of a coup in Qatar. Not. Playing you know, it extremely cool, guys. Not reporting that this is what the Saudis are after or anything like that, but mm-hmm. you know, just kind of. Well, you know, uh, I think the one headline was uh, that Kaplan talked about was uh, five coups in forty-six years, and there's about to be a, maybe there's about to be a sixth. Oh, is that in a Saudi Gazette? Um, I yeah, I might be. I'd have to. I have to find. That's my favorite. Sa- that's my favorite Saudi publication. It's the fucking best <laughs> one. They have. If you read Saudi Gazette, it's like uh, half the headlines are like, uh, you know, why women actually don't want to drive, and then the other ones are just like written by old men, and they're like, uh, I saw one that was so good. It was called. Oh, brothers, what a story of our kingdom. <laughs> it's like, how the fuck is this a newspaper? <laughs> but it's like, that's the paper you want to read if you want to find out about, like, I guess the dumbest, whatever the most fantasies. idiotic cousin of the royal family yeah. is thinking. It's exactly what it is. It's what a good paper. But yeah, I mean, it, the, uh, the demands themselves, like, the, uh, the first I saw them, I was kind of trying to confirm that they were real, but it was like, it was like Trump himself wrote it, and it does. Yeah, I guess the more that you think about it, it's like this is you know things that could never reasonably met be met. So it's almost like preconditions for a crime. Right. We will try to right. impose these or put you through a penalty unless, yeah, we get our guy in there. But 
Yeah, I mean, we'll... Well, and we'll, now we'll, the, we'll the new... Um, you know, there's now... Turkey may be deploying more soldiers. They've already got a few in Qatar, but they may be deploying mm-hmm. more. Uh, the parliament, uh, the Turkish parliament passed a, a bill to allow uh, more soldiers to be deployed to Qatar. So, you know, things could be escalating in an uncomfortable direction if this doesn't get settled, uh, you know, in a negotiation. Yeah, and Trump, I mean, Trump did change his tune a little bit on uh, when he wasn't just shitting all over Twitter with the Qatar shit. He did. When he talked to King Solomon or whoever was interpreting King Solomon's <laughs> drooling, drooling ranting, nodding, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, well, they have to have somebody do that he, for Trump, too, probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, I guess it was just Mohammed bin Solomon and Jared talking to each other. It probably, yeah, probably. But he did, he, you know, he or whoever was representing him did emphasize GCC unity because I really don't think he knew that we had that base in Qatar. It's it's possible, yeah, yeah. You, you may be right. Then McMasters um, or someone told him, and he was like, ah, shit. <laughs> um, and he supposedly called uh, the Emir of Qatar as well, uh, Sheikh Tamim, and offered to, uh, you know, mediate things. So he invited he invited everybody to the White House, which would be, that'd be fun. Oh, I can't a, wait for that. Quite a gathering. Um so if this is this is brokered in the way that it was in like 2013, but with you know a special layer of Trump involvement, what do you think that looks like? What do you think the concessions look like? Do you think it puts a lid um, on things for a while? Uh, I mean, my in, immediate reaction would be: I think Hamas will be out of of Qatar altogether, mm-hmm. which was kind of starting to happen anyway. I mean, they just elected a new political leader. I mean, Khaled Mishal had been running Hamas for a long time out of Doha, basically, because he's, yeah. you know, uh, can't get into Gaza. And uh, But they just elected, like, he's kind of stepped back, and they've elected a new political director, Ismail Haniyeh, who is in Gaza. Um, so uh, they don't need to be in Qatar as much as they used to. Um, they're, they're re-engaging with Iran in a in a you know a better way that relationship had kind of broken down, um, so they don't necessarily need Qatari's support uh, that much. So I think the first thing that would go uh, would be uh, you know Qatari's support for Hamas. Um, you know this other stuff. I don't think they're going to stop broadcasting Al Jazeera. They might. Al Jazeera is uh, one of their best tools. It is. I mean, it's so so good for their sort of foreign policy projection and and uh, you know power status. I, I, you know, they might try to make some promises about uh, you know both sizing everything or, or something like that. Um, but I, I don't think they'll give up the channel altogether. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't. I don't even know. You know, to stop interfering in Egyptian affairs. I don't think they're interfering. I don't know if they're interfering in Egyptian affairs anymore. I guess you know, um, to the extent that you can identify what Muslim Brotherhood members are in Qatar, and you know what financial support the Qataris are still providing to Brotherhood branches, uh, they could they could you know cut that. They could expel those guys. 
Um, you know, I, I, I don't imagine they're going to break off diplomatic relations with Iran altogether because, again, there's this, um, you know, very potentially uncomfortable uh, thing with their shared shared gas field that's, you know, important to Iran but, like, you know, vital to Qatar. I mean, mm. it's, it's their literal uh, lifeline. It's the thing that, that, you know, they make money off of. Um, so, I, I, you know, that's that's very difficult. That would be very difficult for them to do. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, first it'll be uh, Hamas. They'll take some steps about Hamas. They might do some cosmetic things with the TV station. Um, and then, you know, if push comes to shove, they might, uh, you know, go after the support that they're still giving to the Muslim Brotherhood, which they already... You know, agreed to to cut back. There was a big uh, thing in 2013. The, yeah, right. I mean, that was the the big that was the big problem. Um, right, as you say, in the you know a couple of years ago that they they were supporting the uh, Brotherhood in Egypt, but they you know they agreed. Maybe they didn't do it. I mean, you know, this is it depends on whose version of the story you want to believe, I guess. Um, but you know that they could come back at that again, I guess. All right, so. Uh yeah, uh, again, greatest deal maker ever in history. Can be trying, <laughs> trying his hand on and this. And of course, the I mean, I I think I, I don't want to like get into this because it's a whole nother episode. But we should mention the fact that you know we're recording this after the the terrorist attack in Tehran. Yes, yes, which has you know added a whole nother catastrophe to the Persian Gulf at a time when it didn't need it. Uh, and the Iranians are blaming the Saudis, even though it's pretty clear this was an ISIS operation. And well, <laughs> you can certainly blame the Saudis for ISIS in general. Um, you know, they're blaming them specifically for this attack, based in part on something that Mohammed bin Salman said uh, last month when he he, he was yeah, in an interview that was very fight to hostile toward Iran, right? And he said, you know, we're going to make sure that the fight is inside Iran and not inside Saudi Arabia. And of course, there are different ways to interpret a statement like that. I but, mean, so uh, I've seen Mohammed bin Salman is like a pretty direct guy. He's not, you know, he's he's not the art, artful operator that Turkey was in that. I mean, right. He's, Right. When he says something, he means just that kind of. And I wouldn't look. I wouldn't be terribly surprised if we found out that there was at least some Saudi hand in this at all. I it's, really. I wouldn't. mean, it, it's not. It's certainly not out of the realm of possibility. Um, you know, it would be nice. Although, you know, I I don't expect this to happen. But it would be nice if the. IRGC is going to make an accusation like that if they had, you know, yeah, they provided something yeah. to to substantiate it. But this is the IRGC, and you know, they're not inclined to to do that kind of thing. Right, exactly. Um, did Trump put out a positively disgusting statement? About oh my god, it, it was one of the worst so things dickish. he said as president. Yes. Uh, it was horrible. He said, uh, you know, was this very like pro forma I can read it actually I have it here uh, 
we grieve and pray for the innocent victims of the terrorist attacks in Iran and for the Iranian people who are going through such challenging times. We underscore that states that sponsor terrorism risk falling victim to the evil they promote. Oh <laughs> Which, you know, is blaming, bla- talking about blaming the victim. It's, I mean, that's uh, everything that people accuse Corbyn of saying. Right. You know, what Corbyn right. actually said was like, you know, hey, when we play with fire here, it can really fucking get out of hand and make us very unsafe. But Trump is like, eh. He's just, you know, this is your fault. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, why, why are you hitting yourself? Oh, God, he is. Yeah, I mean, it just everything seems so funny with him. And then you remember he's the guy who's in charge of drafting that statement or saying it whenever, whenever something Right, like and, happens. you know, he's You're just. Like, Jesus fucking Christ. It's such a reprehensible asshole and is surrounded by such reprehensible assholes. I mean, this this statement probably came out of the, the National Security Council yeah. or, you know, from somebody like Gorka. Um, and they're just they're just all so vile. Oh, Sorry about that. No problem. No, yeah, just talk about, I mean, any National Security Council is kind of a fucking snake pit, but that one especially, just particularly nasty, vindicative and stupid people. I mean, how does right. how does that, what makes sense about that, that uh, Iran what, did Iran fund, do they honestly think Iran funded ISIS? Like, what the fuck? I mean, I know they well, said that. Well, some of them they've do. I mean, that. you yeah. have, you know, some of these dipshits uh, you know, who who claim to be experts in this stuff, who are convinced that ISIS and Iran have been working together the whole time. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it's just, it, it's so unnecessary. I mean, this, this is a situation where there's no shame in just saying, you know, we're sorry this happened. We acknowledge that, you know, we all are facing this threat and we wish nothing but the best, blah, blah, blah. There's no, you haven't lost anything by just taking the high road. Well, I mean, you know? do you remember that Elliot Abrams article from right before the Iranian election where you hoped that Rouhani would lose? It's like... Right, sure. These, it's like that. I mean, there were a number other. of those. It wasn't other. just Abrams. Yeah. Um, there were there were a bunch of people who were, you know, uh, rooting for the hardliners. And I think hardliners it, I think it also other. bears mentioning that after 9-11, not to equate this, because, you know, right. it was... 12 people were killed. It wasn't nearly as serious as that. But um, but after 9-11, I mean, you know, Mohammed Khatami wrote a personal statement of, yeah. of condolence and, you know, this very uh, generous um, – and Khamenei wrote, wrote something right. that, you know, condemning the attacks and just, you know, n- didn't take that moment – because you don't need to. I mean, they, they didn't take that moment to poke the United States and say, you know, this is what you get for, uh, you know, fucking around in the Middle East and, and screwing people, you know, screwing around with people's lives. Even though they didn't even, do that. Even though we had like work with their direct enemies, people who have who had pledged to wipe them out, what their side right. is, and right. then came back and bit us, and they didn't even say that. It's. But no, and then you know we ended up working with them in Afghanistan, and then David Frum wrote his Until, great yeah. fucking Until line. Axis of evil. Yeah, what a great history. It, it really is. It's just a, a series of good, good, smart decisions by thoughtful people. Yeah. 
Well, on that note, uh, yeah. Look, looking forward, looking forward to uh, an even smarter group of people taking this on. Uh, yeah. Hate to end on a bad note, but that's kind of the only note we can end on. It's kind of the only note we have these days. Yeah, really. All right. Well, Derek, thank you so much. We will have the. Uh, Again, we'll have the links to Derek's blog and his Patreon up in the episode description. If you don't already subscribe, which you should, Derek Davison, thank you again. Thanks, Felix.